0: Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's the third from the end of the Old Testament. Haggai. I don't know names their kids. Oh, there may be some people named their kids Haggai. I haven't I've heard a few. I haven't, heard, I haven't seen too many Jezebels or Delilahs, but there are, I have heard a couple of Delilahs. I think I've met a few. Um, I'm not going to read verse 1 because I don't want to go through the pronunciation of all those names and make you have fun and laugh at me saying, well, that's not the way Alexander Scormy sounds like. No, I'm not going to do that. So, I'm going to go to verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say, The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, It is... Is it time for you, O ye, that dwell in your sealed houses, this house and this house, that's the house of the Lord, lie waste? Now therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Twice he says that, verse 7 also. You have, shown, you have sown much, and bring in little. Boy, I, I've had that happen. But you have not enough. You drink, and are not filled with drink, you clothe you, but there is isn't. Is not warm. That was what I had up in uh, Bismarck. He that earned wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. Boy, I have memorized that. They'll say to the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Uh, you look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon uh, that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of uh, hands. Wow. background to this passage in this book is about 520 BC, 520 BC. In about 586 BC, the last uh, of the children of Israel in Jerusalem were taken back to Babylon by the Babylonians. The city was basically destroyed and wasted. The temple was totally destroyed. That was Solomon's temple was totally destroyed. For 70 years, they were captive. Do you know why they were captive for 70 years. Why did Israel, why basically the nation of Israel were taken to a foreign land as slaves, by the way? Didn't own any property, didn't have right to do anything. They were slaves for 70 years. Why? They forgot God. They didn't think God was an exacting God. They had made a God in their own image that didn't really care. I've had people tell me, I've had people in sin come to me and say, you know, God really don't care what I'm doing. He's not looking. Bette Midler said that God is from a distance looking at you, but the Bible says that He's nigh unto you, and even knows the very thoughts and intents of your heart, even even your casual remarks, your casual your idle statements. Our God is a God of specifics. I don't, think, I don't see how you can look in nature, Romans 1, without, without saying that the God that made everything is a God of very specific precision. I mean, I just don't see you can look around. Today we had in our character traits an egret. I think it was an egret, right? And how white, have you ever noticed how white an egret is? At my house, we have egrets come all the time, these big white birds, and they're, I'm not talking white, I'm talking white, white. I'm talking almost fluorescent white. And yet they're in the mud, they're in the water, they're in the, you know, the bugs and everything, yet they're white. Well, God has given them a system to keep themselves white. Miraculous. I definitely have not got that system. Our God is a God of exact, if you don't learn anything out of going out here this morning, get that God is an exacting God. He also has a great memory. And he's a phenomenal accountant. And so in 520 B.C., after 70 years, he allowed a little group, about 46,000 of them, I think, to go back to the city of Jerusalem, which was destroyed under Nehemiah, you know, rebuilt the walls, and remember all that in the book of Nehemiah, and then Ezra tried to rebuild the temple, and Haggai also was part of the prophets that were sent back to help him rebuild the temple. So that's who we're talking about. It gives you context what I'm saying today. So they're back in this broken-down city. God told them to rebuild the temple under Ezra. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, right? They put the gates back up. They had some sense. Now, it wasn't as big a wall as they used to have. No, no, no. And the temple they were rebuilding was a small little temple, very primitive, made out of wood. Of course, Solomon's temple, wow. Solomon's temple is made out of stone and gold. This little temple is made out of wood. But that's what it is. It was, their, it was their temple to worship God. So these, the walls are broken down. Solomon's Temple was destroyed, burnt only a memory. Solomon's Temple is just a memory in the, in the mind of the old boys that came back that were young when they left, 70 years gone. Maybe they were 10 when they left. They were taken captive, and now they're 80. And there's some people in here that are 80. 80-year-olds 80 actually can remember. Right, Doc? 80-year-olds still got a pretty good memory. So these 80-year-olds go back, and they they think about Solomon's temple. And they see Ezra and and Haggai rebuilding the temple, and they think, oh, brother, this is horrible. This is just a little inky-dinky little thing, humble, made out of wood, no gold, no gold leaf. This is God's house. It discouraged them. They came back. And they uh, failed in rebuilding the temple. Instead, they rebuilt their houses. They paid a lot of attention to their houses. They got their personal place in order, but they didn't get God's place in order. The old timers knew it was impossible to rebuild the temple. They knew it was impossible to rebuild it in the fashion and the grandeur of Solomon. So I think it discouraged them, no doubt about it. And uh, when they laid the foundation, take your book to, if you, if you got your Bible, you got your electronic Bible or a real physical Bible, you can go to Ezra, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. It's a good verse to know, but if you don't want to go there, just listen. Don't, don't get hung up in turning and miss what I'm saying. This is, by the way, recorded, put on iTunes by way of a visual video podcast as well as a, just a sound podcast. Well, many of the priests and the Levites, the chief fathers, were ancient men that were seen the, that had seen the first house. Ancient men, Doc. That's what you are. You're an ancient guy. I mean, uh, uh, FBI guy. You're an ancient guy. I'm looking at all the eighty-year-olds in here. You guys are ancient. That's what the Bible calls eighty-year-olds: ancient guys. I just want to encourage you this morning. I'm here to. I'm here to help. And they had seen the first house. And when the foundation house was laid before their eyes, what did they do? So, this rebuilt temple is going up. They begin to weep with a loud voice. They didn't just weep by themselves, they wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy. The young guys that were born in Babylon who dreamt of having a temple, a place to worship and sacrifice again as the law of Moses commanded them which hadn't had a place to sacrifice for many years, now are beginning to get this place to sacrifice and meet God. is beginning to go up. The young guys are like, "Woo! glory to God, hallelujah. The old guys are crying. (laughs) This is horrible. By the way, we still have that today. We still have that today. Many of us old-timers remember the 60s and 70s when people got saved by the droves. That's not happening today. And so the young guy, leads somebody to Christ, or a couple people come to get to Christ. Woo! We old guys, oh, I remember. Yeah, that's what happens. That's just a natural thing that happens. Look at verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy or the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. The old men wept while the young men laughed. The old men did not have the same spirit as the younger men. The old men were discouraged, and the younger men were encouraged and thrill just having a temple at all. The old men were grieved at the smallness and the simplicity of it, this new humble temple. But the, the young people, woo! they were excited. The people had a lot of work to do. They got there. The place was torn down. It's, yeah, and you know this. It's harder to rebuild something than it is to start from scratch. It's much harder to rebuild something uh, than to start from scratch. They had to clean up all the debris. Uh, I don't think we should be too hard on, on these folks in this passage because it is fairly normal for people to get their house squared away before they do anything else when they move into a new area because they want to get their base of operations squared away. I don't think God condemned these people in this passage for building and finishing their houses. I do not think, don't get, don't get off on that, because I don't think that's really where the condemnation is. The condemnation by God upon his people in this passage, is for letting his house go waste while their house was all spiffed up. I know you will not find the word spiffed in the Bible. So we see in verse 1 through 2 the excuses for not building. What were the excuses? Was it the cost of construction? We're too busy. It's too much work. It really doesn't make any difference. I still have some work to do on my house. I don't know... But what I do know is God noticed. God noticed. That's the, big, that's the big part to get out of this. God noticed that his house wasn't being taken care of. I believe God notices, again, a God of specificity, is a God that notices the condition of your house and the condition of his house. I think there is a comparison that goes on between your house and his house. I mean, that's what's here. He said, "Your houses are all spiffed up, sealed, you know, wainscoted, planted, all nice yards, real neat, cut in, no weeds." But I go to my house, got weeds growing up in the cracks. Nobody's paying attention to the paint's peeling. How many churches you gone to and seen that to be the truth? Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. And God notices that. And I think we need to get this out of the passage. In verses 3 through 4, their houses were all finished up and they were just too busy. I'm going to say a truth to you. Your stuff and God's stuff should at least look the same. Your stuff and God's stuff should at least look the same. My feeling is I want God's stuff to look better than my stuff, and Chris uh, Barrow's been out to my house quite a few times, and he'll testify that's true. He came out. He came out the other day. and said, "Man, this place looks bad." One well, thing about Chris you really like—he'll tell you exactly what he sa- feels or thinks. He said, "Man, this place looks bad." Well, I said, "How's the church look?" He said, "The church looks good." Bingo. That's where I, I want to be. Is your yard neat and trim? So should God's yard be. Is your house painted neatly and not dirty? So should God's house be clean. Are your floors clean, polished, and nice? So should God's floors be. Is your house decorated nicely? So should God's house be decorated nicely. doesn't have to be with gold and silver and all that. But it's, it's, there's no excuse. I, I heard an old old woman that, used to scrub the floor on her hands and knees with a bucket. She said, you can be poor, but you don't have to be dirty. And everybody said, well, if you don't say amen to that, let's all go home. You can be poor. And brother, you may be real poor, but there are no, I've been to Haiti where they had uh, woven palm fronds for walls coated in mud and, and a little thatched roof and, and dirt, black dirt, floors. And they were in there with a broom just making that real clean. And they were cleaning the side. And they were clean. They, were, they only had two sets of clothes. One they wore and one they washed and dried. And I can tell you this, those people were clean. The ones, I saw many of them clean. I thought, man, no excuse for being dirty, man. Well, I bet there's deep conviction going on right now. For years kind of a proverb, you old-timers know this, among fundamentalists was, you could tell a fundamental church because it was the one with the weeds growing up and the yard not taken care of and the paint peeling off and the bathroom's dirty. I don't know what it was about the fundamental movement early on in the 60s. Them people didn't take care of the buildings they had. They didn't take care of it. It was almost an unholy thing to spend too much time on God's house. I think it was a pushback from the liberals. Go to the Presbyterian church down here and take a look at it. Go to the Methodist church and take a look at it. Major line denomination. Perfect. Man, I go to the Methodist church, and I mean it's perfect. I go to the Presbyterian church, it's per. I don't go, but I mean I drive through. And I look at that and I go, man, that's, you know. Their stuff's like, their yard's done good, It's trimmed. Things are in place. What does that tell me? It tells me at least they have a respect for their God. <laughs> it does. They may not be right doctrinally, and, and in some cases they may not even be saved. But the God that they feel they're worshiping, or whatever it is, they got respect for. It does say that. Take your Bibles, and I want you to take your book, if you wouldn't, turn to Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Chapter 8, verse 16 through 18. Maybe that's th- some three very enlightening verses in Scripture. I want you to know where they're at. At least have them there if you don't. Because this passage is, is, uh, is big on showing us who God is and the, na- the nature of God. Because he said, because you didn't take care of my house, because you took care of your stuff ahead of my stuff. He says, I've done a few things to get your attention. This is the part of God that people don't understand. But one one thing that got me as I was reading through the Pentateuch and Deuteronomy, it's called the second law, by the way. Deuteronomy repeats what it was done in, a, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and organizes it and repeats it. It's called the second law. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, the question is, which thy fathers knew not, that he might might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. Verse 17, and thou say in thine heart, my power. In other words, he humbled these people and gave them manna and made them eat the same food every day. Now, I don't know about you. I like mac and cheese and hot dogs, but if I had it every day, I'd probably want to just hate life. I, I really like ribeye, but if I had it every day, I'd hate life. I like lobster, but if I had it every day, I'd probably hate life. Name any food you like, if you eat it every day. Now think about 40 years. I've heard people tell, I've heard ladies come up to me and say, I'd have hated to be in the wilderness, had to wear the same shoes every day. He says, I don't want you to say that my power and my might, uh, the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. Let me just say this, don't make the mistake of no matter how well you may do in this life, or no matter how smart you are, no matter how wise you may be, or no matter how skilled you may be, do not make the mistake of saying, it's because of me. Don't do it. It's my power. God says, I'm going to keep you as my children from saying that. Okay? He says, don't do it. Because he says in verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, and this is the part you may want to underline, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, it is this day. Whatever place in life you fall out, God has allowed it to happen. I mean, you you know, if you got a mind that can remember, it's because God gave it to you. If you've got a mind that can't remember, it's because God gave it to you. Ultimately, things come from God. And so he said, just remember that. Going back to Haggai, verses 5 all the way through 11, I'm not going to reread that for you. But he said, you look for much and you found little. I blew on it. I sent a drought in the land. In other words, what God is saying, your economic, would you clear your mind for a second? Clear your mind for a second. And just allow this to go through your mind as a possibility. Please allow this to go through your mind as a possibility. Not always, no, not always, not always, but our economic troubles from time to time could be God chastening us because of neglecting His work. It's just possible. Now, it may not be every time, and I'm not saying every time it ever happens, that's what it is. But I can say from this passage on authority of the Bible, that in some cases, God uses the weather to chastise his people. In some cases, he uses economic loss to chastise his people. In some cases, he will use the economy or whatever goes on to chastise his people. And he's trying to get your attention. Trying to get my t- Remember, God never chastises these people to hurt his people. He always chastises them to help them, to make them aware, just like you chastise your children. You don't chastise your children to kill them, to damage them. God forbid. You chastise your children because you love them and know if they continue to lie, they're going to be ruined. And so you chastise them for lying. If they continue to, if they steal, you chastise them for stealing because if they become a thief, it's going to ruin their life. Uh, you chastise them for all, all these wrong things. It's Even though the chastisement seems severe. And at the moment, it seems severe oftentimes. I remember my dad, my, my dad whipping me, man. I'm going to tell you, it was a happening. It was a happening at the house. But I never doubted that my dad loved me. He used to tell me, son, I love you. But I, you cannot under my roof, grow up to be a liar. You will not, under my roof, grow up to be a thief. You will not. Now, when you get out, you'll do whatever you ever want to do, but under my roof, you're not going to do this. God bless his memory. Hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Though at the time, it was a little tough. A lot of times, we, as a believer now, it's not the way things fold out that has caused just natural folding out of things or falling out of things that has caused what's happening in your life. It could be because of your bad behavior towards God that God has kept things from you that you couldn't handle or wouldn't handle because you're not right with God. It's possible. But his passage makes it, uh, appears to be normal or natural circumstances, transcend them which people would call natural. You know, famines are natural. Droughts are natural. They happen all over the world. But God says, to my people, they're not natural. They're my hand. You with, you with me on that? It's not a natural thing. It's my hand. I think a lot of Christians cheat themselves out of God's blessing because they don't get this truth. Or they miss the point. They blame everything, but what it really is is God is the one over your life as, as a child, and he's going to work through every little detail, and he cares that you care. He says in verse 8 there in Haggai, I go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, I'll take pleasure in it. I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Trustees. Trustees the Gospel Baptist Church responsible for the care and maintenance of the buildings, and many other people in this church also have taken upon themselves the care and maintenance of these buildings. Praise God for you. Praise God for people that care that we paint this place and keep it neat or that we keep the sidewalks right or keep the the driveway right or the trees looking good. Praise God. Brother, I I know God's looking this place over and looking and saying, do you care about me? God, we care about you. We're sure not going to have our house all prim and proper and then have your house all torn down. One of the reasons why we try to keep this place in new shape, new roof, Uh, We've done new gutters, new roof. Uh, We're going to get new carpet in July, a couple weeks from now. And we're going to keep a new paint in here. Because we want to show God, maybe not so much you, but we want to tell God we really respect you and your house and where your name rests. And we love you. And we're grateful for what you've done for us. For sure. For sure. That's a good lesson. By the way, I like old Don Sisk. I don't have to. I get to do it. I want to do it. I want this place, God's house, to be better than my house. I want it to be cleaner. I know it's cleaner because uh, Sandy Dodd does the cleaning. And there ain't nobody cleans better than Sandy Dodd that I ever knew. How about, how about, uh, is, uh, I'm looking for somebody here. Sandy here? God bless you, Sandy. Pray for her husband. Because living with somebody that's a square cornered person is tough, you know. Sandy's a square-corner person, man. She's a square-corner person. I heard that they were getting a dog. I said, oh, Sandy. I throw i throw that in. What it is to have God take pleasure in this place. I, I, I care that the bathrooms are clean. I care that the uh, tile is right. Uh, I care about all that. I come in here, I look everything over. I look for spiders. I look for, I look for everything. If you see anything that's not right, we'll make it right. Why? Because we care about God. It's just one area. It's not all the areas we do. Man, we do all kinds of areas to show we care about God. But this is one area in the Bible that when I first went over this book of Haggai, and I read that, and I go, wow, this is brand new to me. I didn't even know God cared about that. But he does. But he does. He says two times in that passage, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider them. Consider looking how you look at God's house and God's people and God's, God's way. What, what do you think? Look at your place, look at God's place. You care about God's place? You know, when I die, I want God to be able to say, you cared about me. Oh, man. I, I, I was praying the other day and talking to God, and I said, God, if, 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 if anything you could say about me, I would that you could say, that Bill Hell cared about me. Man, I want to care about that. I want to care about God and everything about God. I'm all over it. I'm 100%. I'm all in. And I want to end all in, and I want to be all in until he takes my hand off the plow. I don't want to look back because God Almighty saved my soul through Jesus Christ, gave his only begotten Son, made a way I can go to heaven made a way I can have my sins forgiven, made a way I can be well, I can be presented blameless before him and he's coming. Wow. My gratitude never ends. Should never end. Go all the way to the end. But may God help us to get this simple but yet profound biblical truth out of the book of Haggai. Father, help us this morning. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website